thing, you know, we're in the business of going fast and so are the teams and, um, you know, they, they push it to the absolute limits and sometimes over it and that, that's what happens. And the full credit to Shane, you know, he just, just merged into the, into the family as if he'd been there all along. I was embarrassed for that race to restart in Tasmania. Dumb shit like that, that just isn't acceptable. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. Hello and welcome to this special edition of Inside Supercars, where we look at Tail and Bend, opening last weekend with the thoughts of the first winner in the GT series there, Tony Dalberto, and of course, colourful supercar racing identity, David Reynolds. I hope you'll stay with us. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. We're fortunate today to be joined by Tony Dalberto, fresh from another win. He and Max Twig in that Mercedes uh, have become uh, a bit of a regulars on the podium and Australian GT, you had uh, great success in Highland Park, a podium in Hampton, and now at the debut, you've won the race there, Tony. Wonderful work. Yeah, thank you very much, and uh, thanks for having me. Uh, it's um, one of those events that I think uh, everyone was really pushing to get to that first event, and uh, we just had a ripper weekend. The, the car was amazing. Uh, I love the track, and uh, luckily Max loved the track as well, and he was driving exceptionally well so it all came together and uh the race was really quite straightforward for us in the end and yeah very thankful to take the win tell me how long since you've been driving with max in this mercedes i joined max at the start of the endurance championship last year at phillip island uh i hadn't driven the car before and it was very a late deal and uh basically got chucked in the car at phillip island and we had a terrible round at that one and uh Afterwards, we thought we need to go and do some testing, and yep. we did that, and our results have uh, improved every time since. So I think it's really important to have that continuity with somebody rather than just jumping in and out of uh, deals with different people because, you, you know, you start to learn what they like and what their strengths are, what Max needs from the car, and obviously what I need as well. And um, it's, it's almost like a marriage in some ways. Um, you know, we are sharing the car, and we need to get the best out of each other. So... Um, I was really happy to, to continue that this year. And obviously, I'm building my confidence with that car and, and knowing what I need from it and, and how it feels when it's actually uh, when it's set up well. So um, all those sort of factors came into play this year. And I was, like I said, I was really happy to continue driving with Max and, and Scott Taylor Motorsport. I'd have to think, Tony, that uh, you're slightly being humble here, and I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't be, but... In that, I think you've had a real impact on Max's driving. He seems to be making far less mistakes. There was no doubt he had speed before, but he too often, whether it was concentration or business or whatever it was, but he seems to have taken those out. Oh, look, I mean, I'd like to take some credit for that, but he's actually got some really good guys around him in Scott Taylor, 
um, Craig Baird and, and the crew at Scott Taylor Motorsport. Um, Craig's, you know, sort of a bit of a mentor for, for Max. And, uh, look at on the weekend, he was just on fire. He, he really gelled with the track quickly. And every time he hopped in the car, he was up the top of his session for the, for the amps. So even in, in, as we saw, really tricky conditions, it wasn't like a, a consistent, uh, grip level all weekend. It was forever changing. Um, so obviously he's building his confidence, but interesting after the Grand Prix when we raced, he drove both categories, so the, the uh, Carrera Cup car yes. and the GT. And at the end of the weekend, he sent an email through saying, guys, you know, I'm, I'm just not gelling with this GT car. We need to test. Um, so, you know, we actually we did that extra day at Tail and Bend prior to the race. And I think because he wasn't racing the Carrera Cup car, you know, you don't carry over some of the habits that you need for that car. So just to focus on the one car, I think, really helped him. And he likes really flowing circuits. And, and that's what um, Tail and Ben was uh, all about. All right, which gets us to the point, of course, you, you had pole position again, which was terrific. You didn't get fastest lap. I think that might have been Dave Reynolds in the uh, another Mercedes. Yep. Yeah, Luke Yulden got that one. He was a tenth up the road from us, which is, yeah. you know, did nothing over such a long lap. Yes. Um, but I was pretty happy with that session. You know, we're, we stood up the front and... It's sort of one of those sessions because the track was changing so much. You just needed to keep going. So it was like a 20 minute, uh, well, it was a qualifying session, but every lap you're trying to find the last little bit. So it was pretty intense that session. Uh, so Raptor to, to put on second and then, uh, Max, I think was second or third in his session. It was enough to actually claim that pole position. I think it was the closest. It's ever been uh, in Australian GT. Yeah, which is fantastic. Now, which is, gets us around to the point that uh, really to talk about and clarify for a lot of people why the short track or the GT track um, was used and not the full track on the uh, Sunday. The, 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 I didn't get to the track on the Saturday. Um, now, tell us, it, it was the lack of vision was the problem, wasn't it? Yeah, well, it was quite dusty and there was a lot of wind around over the weekend. And because the full circuit wasn't getting used by any other categories, when we went out for qualifying, it was it was like a dust storm. Honestly, you you could barely see, um, which made it super challenging. But to be honest, if it was raining, the visibility would have been very similar. So, I, I personally, I was happy to keep going. Um, but yeah, obviously, some people thought that it was a little bit too risky to, to keep using that circuit at the moment when we when there's there is that sort of dust problem around the circuit. Um, so they opted to, to go to the shorter circuit and, and they changed quick, very quickly changed the format of the weekend and put an extra practice session in so we could actually learn that next little bit of the track, um, the cut through. Um, but to be honest, that, that's still a, quite a long circuit. I think it's over five Ks. Um, 4.9, yeah. 4.9. So, yeah. you know, we go to Bathurst in 6.3 and that's a big lap. But because yeah. we suddenly got used to running around the long circuit at 7.7, it felt quite short, so uh, that, that was quite quite funny. But to be honest, a long circuit, you know, it's over three minutes. It's a, it's a long way around. I actually thought when I did my first couple of laps that the um, timer wasn't working properly. Yeah. I thought we were aiming for two minutes, and yeah, it was an extra minute. So, um, but like that that first session that I went out all week, I've been trying to memorise the circuit and pick up any little bit of vision that I could get my hands on. But until I went out there, honestly, you couldn't um, memorise the whole circuit at all. You come up over these crests, you think, oh, yeah, this is easy, flat over here. And then, you, oh, no, that's the wrong part of the track. <laughs> and you'd have it off. 
So um, it, it really took at least two or three sessions to be comfortable and confident to attack the track. Um, yeah. And the grip level was quite low that um, it wasn't easy. You had to had to really have your wits about you. As you'd probably be aware, there's a time, and it's probably far closer than we, we think or hope, that Sandown's not going to be part of our schedule. And uh, I uh, think that, you know, it's highly likely that that uh, supercar event from, say, August might move to September uh, and take over the, the date that's been Sandown 500. So you could see where that track would become what you would be your regular uh, endurance uh, round. Yeah, I mean, that, that's why I've been so keen to um, get out there and race on the circuit because it's such a awesome place. Um, obviously, the Shins have put a lot of money and invested a lot into it. But, you know, we're not going to be doing club events there. They've got this aspiration to have massive events there. So there's going to come a time in the future where there's going to be a lot to play for when we go there. And uh, that's why it's just nice to get some laps under my belt. And um, I can tell you my phone's been ringing trying to get uh, information about the place um, for when the supercars get there um, later in the year. With your mentioning how hard it was to see or to locate yourself on the track, but once the track gets more established and there's a bit more signage up there, that problem will take care yeah. of itself, won't it? it, it it's uh, it's just so, so. It's, uh, it's such a greenfield site. I think so. I mean, it, it was very... Uh, yeah, there's no reference points as such. So um, you, you end up going through a section and go, okay, yeah, that's that bit because I've just been through the previous two corners, you know. Um, there wasn't like a bridge or, uh, you know, a, a tyre bundle or something that you could reference um, yourself to. And being 35 corners, I've never been on a track that long myself. Um, I haven't done, you know, Nürburgring or something like that. Um, so for me... A long circuit is something with 20 corners, and then to add, you know, uh, another 15 to that, it's quite insane. And I think um, it's not very often that you have to learn a brand new circuit, so or you come to a circuit for the very first time, and no one's got any vision or anything for you to watch. So it's sort of a really unique scenario. And I, I just found until we got out on track and had a go at it, you, you really couldn't prepare yourself well enough for it. So. Um, so we've done that now. I've done it in the wet. I've done it in the dry. I've done it in the in the dust storm. I feel pretty uh, prepared now. You did the well, two. You did the two Tinkler circuits, didn't you, in uh, uh, Abu Dhabi and Bahrain? Yes. Yep. How did you go with those circuits? Was that a case of you had Grand Prix vision that you could use to, use back then? Yeah, and, and there's a lot more reference points as we sort of spoke about. You know, you look at Abu Dhabi and you, you go underneath the hotel there and. Um, you know, you go down the back straight and get the big braking zones. There's just a bit more to reference yourself to. And they'd been racing there before. So it wasn't like we were the very first event um, going there. So you go there with a bit more preparation. Um, but I, honestly, I don't know if they did it on purpose there at, at Tail and Ben, but you couldn't get any info. You know, there was, there was people been testing there, but nothing was really getting put up uh, on the internet. I ended up finding a really slow lap that somebody had driven around the circuit on like a cruise day or something. And I fast forwarded up. So it would be obviously similar, sort of similar speed that I'd be doing just to try and get some reference points. Um, So that's about as good as I had prior to getting to the event. It's an interesting problem to have, isn't it? And 
if we're lucky, you might have that problem again in somewhere like uh, Ballarat or uh, in um, in um, a few other places around the country where there are plans for new circuits. Yeah, that's the thing. We don't often face that. And, uh, you know, we end up, you know, when I'm racing supercars and you do the three endurance races each year, you go to the same tracks you've been going to for 10 or 15 years. So other than a few changes, maybe a new curb or maybe a bit of bitumen or something, um, you're not learning a, you know, a 7.7 kilometre road um, and trying to put the car on the limit very, like in, in not a lot of time. So, uh, very unique scenario, but I actually, I really like the challenge of it. And I reckon they've done a really nice job of the circuit. You know, it flows well, you know, some real tight and twisty stuff as well. Um, but quite, you know, committed corners. So, um, they've got a, a real mixture. I know they've tried to grab different corners from all around the globe. And while I haven't raced on every circuit around the world, but you can see what they're trying to do. And, um, there's a lot of character to that track. And I hate it when people, I build a new circuit, and it's just flat. You know, there's no character to it. You know, we've got a couple around that I won't mention, but um, you think, what a waste. You know, these guys have really um, done their research. Uh, I, I heard, you know, Sam um, speaking about how he, you know, went to Mark Scaife and went to all these guys with knowledge and basically went there with, with no preconceived ideas and just said, what do you reckon? You know, what, what, what could we do? We want to build a, the best track around, and... And I'm not saying it's the best track in the world, but it's certainly got a lot of character and uh, it, it's just going to get better and better that place. One of the things the Shahins have plans for are international events. And something that happened before you were born was when Sandan hosted a round of the World Endurance Championship. It was a time when Porsche Factory came over and things like that. And you could see a time in the future where maybe something like that will happen because obviously with their GTs, because both Yasser and his brother Sam both race in that category, and they clearly, that's their, their lot, you know, where they want to go. And it is world-class, that facility, there's no doubt about it. The, the track length's long, um, you've got all the, the um, towers and pit buildings, and everything's there to do to do that. I mean, I heard, a, heard uh, someone say they might do Formula 1 now. I, think, I, I don't know about that. You know, I think some of the corners probably a bit tight for, for that style of racing. But look, they're definitely gearing themselves up to do international stuff, um, and that would be so exciting for them to have around the World Endurance Championship or something like that, um, yeah. because they could certainly handle it. Tony, is it a racer's track or is it a driver's track? Uh, I, I'm sure you know what the what uh, how I define the difference. It can be a great track to drive on, but you can't make any passes and you can't do any racing on it. Do you think the track lends itself to racing door handle to door handle? Look, I hope so. I mean, there's, the thing I like about it is there's plenty of corners that lead on to a straight that, um, you know, if you don't get that corner right and you get a bit of a bad exit, you're going to get, you know, uh, overtaken down that straight. But, yeah, it's probably yet to be seen a little bit. Um, and I'll, you know, without sounding silly, we're in a fortunate enough position where we didn't have to do any passing on the weekend, <laughs> um, which I, I like being in that position. But, yeah, I, I think um, I can't see why that it wouldn't be a circuit that uh, lends itself to great racing. There's so many the variety of corners. Yeah, there's parts where you do have to stick behind someone, um, you know, that is quite tight around the back. Uh, so there's not really an opportunity to, to make a pass down there. But we saw on the weekend, you know, going to turn six, getting a dive done down there, 
um, and plenty of guys trying to do the switch back in a few areas as well. So the, the tracks are sort of that varied that um, you really got to be on your game and you got to work pretty hard around the lap. So you do make a mistake, people are going to pounce and, and grab that position off you. One of the interesting pieces of news, Tony, that's happened uh, yesterday was that Ford have announced that they're returning to supercars using the Mustang as the platform from the Falcon. Um, you obviously are still continuing on with DJR Team Penske, sharing the car with Fabian Coulthard. This is your second or third year yeah. together? Uh, it's my second year with Fabian, but I did the year before with, with Scott Pye, so third year with the team. Um, and I imagine that you might get excited about the idea of actually racing a Mustang. Look, I, I actually didn't know a lot about it, and they've kept it under wraps um, very well. I, I know there's a lot of talk about it, but I honestly, from the team's point of view, hadn't heard much. And so it was a bit of a surprise to me yesterday, but it's an exciting surprise. And I just, what I really love about it is having that, that support from a manufacturer. Yeah. Um, it just, it's exciting for vets, or supercars as we call it now. Yeah. There's always this doom and gloom about, you know, trying to get another manufacturer, but no one's that interested. And what are they going to do when Ford goes and Holden and all this sort of stuff? But to get that sort of, uh, you know, that, the um, reignited interest in the sport, I think that's awesome. And, you know, we've seen all these renders of the cars and what they could look like. And if they look half as good as they do on the render, they're going to look amazing. So I think it's really exciting, and it's just that rivalry again between, you know, Holden and Ford and uh, the big V8. Even, you know, Holden delaying, or I'm not sure if they've postponed it completely, but there's a V6. You know, I think people, they're excited about that as well because they love the sound of the V8. So I think that's our true fan base, and uh, I just think it's... Um, it's exciting for the sport. I briefly spoke with Ryan Story yesterday, and he was just saying how awesome it was, and I was so excited to actually get the deal done. Um, and I imagine that you might get excited about the idea of actually racing a Mustang. I was a long time ago now. Now, Tony, you won the um, what's now known as Super Two Dunlop Super Two. You won that championship yeah. back in '07, was it? <laughs> I am. I am. Old man. <laughs> um, I am. So yeah, you did two years in that. Oh, I did. I did. Uh, I think I did four years in, in Dunlop series there. Right. Uh, we did it as our own own little outfit as a family. Yep. And uh, that that was quite special back then to win that championship when some of the main teams were starting to field uh, cars for for guys in in the Dunlop series. Um, and it's you know now I'm not racing full time um, in Vets supercars. It's something that I'd like to try and get myself back into because I think it's, it's great preparation for the supercar endurance races. I think all the young guys having a crack and there's guys like Paul Dumbrell and Chris Pitzer and guys that have been around for a long time as well that sort of set this benchmark. Um, so that, that's a really strong category this year. And um, look, if I had the opportunity to get back in and, and do it properly, I certainly would uh, love to do it. Actually, I want to take this opportunity to tell our listeners something that, that not many people know and that's your father Al and your father Al in researching a book on Frank Gardner I have been for some years yeah. I learned about Al's history Al, Al of course is not just the father of a supercar driver or a GT winner but in fact Al was one of a very special team in Australian motorsport history because he had two men that he was uh, uh, a junior to 
He was uh, mentored by Frank Gardner, three-time British Touring Car Champion, Formula 5000 Champion, you know, just an extraordinary history. But also a man called John Anderson, and, and Al helped build and ran the Chev Corvair that Frank dominated, won 41 of 49 races. Now, in my book, there are not many men that would rank above Frank and John in terms of being not only successful, but tough men, demanding men, men that you couldn't sort of say, oh, I think I fixed it. You would have to know exactly what you'd done and not done. And I have enormous admiration for the fact that Al kept that job for some considerable time. He told me some wonderful stories about that, but I just take my hat off to him because uh, to have been in that sort of company in that time would have been extraordinary. Yeah, he, he tells a lot of good stories about it. And, and my dad's never really been, uh, you know, on the driver's side of things, more uh, mechanical side. And uh, when he worked with Frank, he learned so many lessons. And he tells a lot of stories about how they used to go testing and um, basically not sleep all night, drive to the next race meeting and, and go and win races. And uh, But he, he says, you know, like, Frank was uh, the ultimate ultimate professional. So... Yeah. Uh, like you said about being hard on hard on the guys, he just wanted to make every show everything's perfect because you want to win. I'll tell you, yeah. interesting aside, one one day Tim Schenke and I were spoken to about Frank Gardner, of course, yeah. they were in England at the same time. Frank, uh, Tim actually just mentioned in passing to me, walking past, and I was saying, we thought Frank was gay at one stage, <laughs> which sort of stopped me in my tracks. And, and I sort of, what the heck? Well, until he turned up with Gloria. Now, I, I'm sure you probably haven't met Gloria Gardner, but... And I thought of that for some time, and of course, then I realised that, that Tim, of course, was a Formula One driver, and, and Formula One drivers, well, you know, you've got to go and find your wife, don't you, you know? <laughs> Whereas Frank was going to work, and that, he was. that's what it was about. Uh, and he was. That's what um, They're great times, my dad, and he, he loved it, and then he'll, uh, he's got a lot of memories that he'll cherish forever. He, he talks about it all the time, to be honest. How does he go uh, as a racing dad? Oh, look, he, you know, no one likes racing dads. <laughs> I'm sure there's a few stories around, but um, they've always got their, their, their son or daughter's uh, best interest at heart. But these days, he doesn't actually hang around too much. Um, he loves coming to the big, bigger events. Um, and he you know, hangs out at the back of the pits and, and just really supports me. And Because um, he's, you know, been alongside me forever, uh, in my racing especially, he knows... Uh, what I need and I suppose the, the uh, mood I need to be in to perform the best and all that sort of stuff. And um, he's a really good support for me and, and we uh, we get along obviously really well. But uh, these days it's, he's sort of very much in the background. Obviously when we ran our own team, he was very hands-on. And, and for a while there when I wasn't uh, full-time and he sort of had to step back a little bit, that was tricky uh, for him to do, to do that. But uh, he's well and truly uh, past that point now, and he, he's he's very appreciative as well of the opportunity that I have now, especially with uh, DJ Tempensky and even you know Scott, Scott Taylor boys. I mean, um, to be in great equipment to try and uh, basically every time we go to the race meeting, especially with uh, you know, supercars, we, we're there to to try and get a get a win, and it's very much a possibility. So um, to be in a car like that. Um, something that he worked for for a long time and I'm sure you know dad spent a lot of money over the years to get me to that point and I suppose he he looks at it as that that's the reward 
Well, he certainly uh, has been rewarded with a son who now regularly is uh, climbing on the top steps of podiums. And we look forward to uh, getting back into that uh, red and yellow car uh, come Sandown. I do. Yeah, and you've got some test days, I imagine, the Winton, um, Queensland Raceway, those sort of events coming up. Yeah, we don't, we don't have a lot, to be honest. Um, we'll have uh, the co-driver sessions and a couple of test days during the year. But uh, like I haven't driven the supercar since Gold Coast last year, so that's why it's so important for me to be racing other things and try and keep my eye and uh, make sure I remember how to do it. Just to refine those skills, you know, it's not that you sort of forget how to drive a race car, but you might not be quite as sharp or refined as if, you know when you when you're just sitting on the sideline. So that's really important. But I must admit, you get to about mid-year and you haven't done a lot in the supercar, and you start to worry a little bit. And uh, you do a few ride, sponsor ride days and test days, and then you start to get your groove back. So, but uh, the DJR Penske guys they're fully aware of all that, and and they work really hard to make sure I'm prepared too. So, um, I'm sure by the time we get the sand down, I'll be all good to go. But I remember last year when they uh, they had so much success um, at the start of the year, especially and. Uh, from what they had had, it was really hard being on the sidelines, just watching, waiting for your turn. So, um, and and this year the same, you know, they're still as strong as ever, and got a big challenge, obviously from the the ZB Commodore, but um, they're there or thereabouts, and um, they're pushing like no one else to try and make sure they get results. I bet in well, that conversation, say- Tony, with Ryan Story, you mentioned that you'd be available for any testing and uh, development work that might come along. <laughs> Absolutely. You're, uh, you're absolutely right there. I definitely put my hand up to do any of that sort of stuff if they needed to. Um, but I'm sure they've got that, got that covered. Even if they just want someone to bed breaks, it's fine. I'm, I'm happy to do that too. <laughs> well, it's been, it's been wonderful to talk with Tony Dalberto, fresh off a win at the inaugural Australian GT round at uh, Tail and Bend, The Bend. And uh, from our point of view, Tony, you seem just as sharp as you always have been, and I'm sure that uh, there'll be more uh, more wins and success coming up in the near future, both GT and Supercar. So thanks again, Tony Dalberto, fresh from Tail and Bend. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Tony Dalberto there. Uh, coming up after the break, here's David Reynolds. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think, is a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Bates of the Cars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. And welcome back to Inside Supercars. We're fortunate to be joined today by Dave Reynolds, uh, fresh from uh, a run around Talem Bend on the new track and uh, getting ready for Phillip Island for round five of this year's championship. Sitting second in the points still, I understand, David? Yeah, uh, yeah equal second with... Uh... Scott McLaughlin. So, um, right. but like, when you look at the championship, it says me is third because Scott's kind of like the favourite son of supercars, so they put him in front of me. <laughs> Even though we got the same points, it's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, well, you know, so same good. number of wins as well, isn't it? 
Uh, yeah, I think I've had this. He's had one, I've had one. Is that right? Yeah. Really? Let's talk to David now. We're not talking as a preview of Phillip Island. I mean, the big news there was Bruin Beasley being appointed uh, team manager. Um, he's had a, a position within the team. We know him well on Inside Supercars, but that's just one of the things that's happened, a, a, a slight change there. But the news I wanted to talk to David about was talking about running around the new track, which, of course, in August you get to uh, sample again. It's something special, isn't it? Yeah, Tailwind Bend is um, probably one of the best tracks I've driven on in Australia, other than Bathurst. Like it's, we we did a number of like it was a bit of a weird weekend because we started practicing and we qualified on the long track, which is seven point eight k's and thirty five corners and you know three minutes something lap. And um, yeah, that that track was unbelievable. It was so difficult to learn, and there was so many. Uh, you know, unusual parts to it that you never really find anywhere else. And then uh, because of the weather and the, you know, some of the Audis weren't that fast and they complained about it, they they went a bit, yeah. So, I don't know, they weren't that fast, so they tried to get a change. And we, they actually did get a change to the shorter track, which is the 4.9K circuit, yep. um, which is the one the supercar is going to run on. And, yeah, that was... To me, that was actually felt a bit better because it had more flowing sections and and um, it kind of made a bit more sense and it was a bit bit easier to learn. So, yeah, but there's still a, there's probably one or two corners that really don't add up as far as you know the flow and the scale of it. It's, but otherwise, it was it's the it's the best track, like best standalone. What are they called? Uh, fixed, permanent racing circuit in Australia by far. It's, so cool. I loved every second of it. Well, the, the one particular place that I, I, I haven't driven the, the track at speed, I've been around in a in a combi van or you know, sort of thing, but the one uh, sequence is three right-handers in a row. They're pretty special, aren't they? Yeah, uh, Yeah. well, there's... Yeah, that, that's, that's on the back section, and there's... Is there three? Hang on, there's one, two, three, four. I think it's three or four. Yeah, anyway, there's a lot. It's a very, very long, drawn-out right-handed corner. Um, but on the short track, there's about five right-handers in a row. So, yeah, yeah. man, it's, 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 it really tricks with your brain, like, cause, um, especially on the long track, because there's not a lot of, um, not a lot of, like, uh, reference points or, like, landmarks or anything like that. So you come up to a few corners, and they all look quite, quite similar, but they're very, very different on the exit, and it's kind of hard to judge, and that was making it really difficult to learn. But I, I love the whole challenge of it. I, and I thought it was fantastic. Now, you, you drove, um, first time would have been on the Friday? Uh, yeah, I did half a lap on the Thursday. Yes. And then got in the road car and um, did about four or five low laps. Because, the yeah, on the long circuit, because on, on the Thursday I did one lap and realised I don't have no idea where I'm going. So um, I got in the road car and did a few laps and then on the Friday we had like a wet dry session and, and yeah, that was kind of it really. It was an all the way. So then you had an acclimatising session before the race on the Sunday, is that correct? Yeah, so they moved, they moved quali- sorry, after qualifying on the long track, they, we were supposed to have an hour race on the Saturday, which we, um, which they sort of, uh, cancelled and gave us an hour practice session on the shorter track so we could learn that. So um, then we just had an extra long race on the 
on the Sunday. So, yeah, it was a bit of a weird weekend like that, but I loved it. I had the best weekend. The cars were just beautiful to drive at that track. The surface is really good. Um, the only downside is all the dust and all the dust storms. Which, obviously, when the grass is growing, that problem will uh, dissipate to a large degree. Yeah, like, apparently they haven't had any rain there for eight or nine months. So, yeah, it was just a big dust bowl and pretty bad but it, was, it felt like the end of the world was coming every afternoon when the when the sandstorm came it was bloody weird it was like being in dubai or bahrain you know there's a time in the in the near future when sandown will no longer be a racetrack it'll become a suburb of melbourne um and so the likelihood is that that september date will be uh, what uh, supercars will, when they go to the bend will be uh, you know that first of the enduro cup oh is that true Oh, wow. I, look, it hasn't been announced, but that, that I believe, will be the, the scenario that happens. Yeah, it'd be cool. I'd, I'd thoroughly love that track. It was yeah. very, very cool. As as we all know, motorsport, to a large degree, for the majority of people who follow it, doesn't, isn't something they attend. It's something they watch on television because that's where, uh, you know, series makes money. They, you know, whether it's the sponsors or the broadcasters and the series actually uh, uh, selling the rights to them. So that's uh, something that'll obviously be part of the future. I don't know how they'll go for spectators because there's probably not a lot of spectation area. There are around the track, and you could see some of them. I mean, one of the interesting things is that from where you stand, you would have been upstairs on the control deck, uh, the uh, viewing decks upstairs in the building? Yeah, that was cool. That was that. You could see the whole track, most of the track from there. Right, well, when you stand there and look across at the back end of the GT what uh, is known as the, I think it's the GT track, and then there's the other one is the International. That's a kilometre across. So, uh, you know, the front straight's a kilometre long, and looking across the track, you're looking at a kilometre. So it's a fair idea that it's a bigger site than most tracks we've ever seen in Australia before. Yeah, it's, it's pretty big, isn't it, when you get there? I loved it, though. I thought it was so it's beautiful. Wonderful to talk to you, David, and to get your uh, positive feedback on it. We look forward to catching up with you this weekend at Phillip Island, and uh, it's a track that you have done pretty well at. Um, some people have tried to stop your uh, success, um, but I hope that's not going to linger in your mind for too long and that you'll uh, continue on your winning ways. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Hey, uh, before you go, good. David, before you go, you obviously are driving in a, in a brand-new ZB Commodore now, but uh, what have you thought of all the media and the hype around the finally announced Mustang? Uh, yeah, like, whatever, whatever the fans want, whatever they want to be, you know, it doesn't, I don't really care, that's the other side of the fence, but when you look at it from an aero point of view, it looks like a lot smaller than the ZB, so of course we're going to whinge about it when it comes to parity time, and, you know, every time they bring out a new, new body shape, it's always better than their predecessor, and we're going to whinge about it, so, to be honest, I don't really care, that's my honest opinion. It's a bit like if they put a V6 in the front of your car. As long as it pulls you down the straight, you don't give a rat's either. Oh, uh, like I, I, I do care about that. Oh, really? I, because you know, yeah, I do. Because you know, V8 supercars is what the what the sport was built on. It's what I grew up watching. Um, you know, the parity, I suppose, between the, all the all the V8 engines is pretty close. Like it's as close as you're ever going to get in any other form of motorsport around the world. Um, so, you know, why, why would they try and change something that's broken? It's not broken, sorry, so why would they fix it? 
interesting an, an interesting one of course because the series grew up on having four cylinders and six cylinders and v8s running it was... that was before my time so oh okay what i know he's <laughs> only a young fella craig you know yeah i guess us gray head yep. bastards need to pull our heads in in the last 25 years it's been what it sort of is now hmm. all right wonderful dave look forward to catching you on friday all right thanks boys Always a colourful character is David Reynolds. A break and then we'll wrap things up here on Inside Supercars. Each week join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. And, you know, every, every year I see Jackie Stewart at the Grand Prix and I just remind myself of, of his part in, in starting the, the path to safer cars. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Jack Brabham certainly left his mark not only on Australian motorsport, but motorsport all around the world. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Thanks for joining us on this special edition Inside Supercars program. We hope you enjoyed Tony D'Alberto and also David Reynolds giving us their thoughts on the bend, which was certainly an interesting opening last weekend, as you heard. Don't forget, Inside Motorsport is celebrating 20 years online with a whole series of shows throughout the rest of this year. It kicks off today with the Phillip Island race of 1998. It sounds a long time ago, only 20 years though. I hope you enjoy that show. So thanks for being with us once again. And Tony Whitlock will be back in the host chair next Wednesday for our regular edition of Inside Supercars. Until then, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device, search Inside Supercars.